Well, we're in the book of Second Peter, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. This is the fourth time that we will have looked at that text. And I'm going to have you follow along as I read it so you have a general idea of what Peter is saying and what I want to share from this text. So it's Second Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to be reading down through verse 11. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our, and Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness or love, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. In this scripture, you'll notice that Peter says that you are a partaker of the divine nature. And because you have partaken of that divine nature, certain things are true of you. He talks about those precious and magnificent promises that have been given over to you. And he talks about the fact that you have these seven Christ-like qualities and they mark your life. They mark your life. That's how we live. These qualities will make you both useful as well as you will be fruitful, he says. And they'll also do something else. They will assure you of your salvation. That's very significant. They will assure you that you really have partaken of that divine nature, that you really are born again, that you are in the family of God. And not only that, he says they will also pay very big rewards, both now as well as into the future. That's kind of a synopsis, if you please, of what Peter is saying here to you and me in these 11 verses. Now this morning, we're going to dig into verses 8 through 11. But in order to do that, we need to go back for a quick background of verses 1 through 7. And so that's what we're going to start with in your outline. God's call and your partaking of the divine nature. We start there. That's how he began. God's call. He's called you and you're partaking of the divine nature. Now, Peter is not saying this is a general call. 
Because God calls everybody to repentance and to put their faith in His Son. Everybody's called to that. He said, this is not a general call. This is an effectual call He's talking about. What do I mean by that? Well, we looked at that a couple weeks ago. He means that this is a call when God called you effectually. It means you were chosen before the foundation of the world. It means that everyone He calls will always respond in saving faith. These are the ones who are going to get saved. So that's what he's talking about in the very first four verses there, that you have received an effectual call from God if indeed you've partaken of this divine nature. He says, by the way, that the faith you have is exactly, I love it, it's exactly the same kind of faith that Peter and the other apostles and all those Jewish believers that got saved, you got exactly the same kind of faith they have. That's saving faith, isn't it? And he goes further, he says, this faith that you have is also rooted in the righteousness of Jesus Christ our Lord. He says there, by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. You know, Paul said that, he said, he has been made where we have been made the righteousness in him. And then he turns it around in 1 Corinthians one thirty and says, Jesus has become your righteousness. You know, you think about that. So many people are trying to say, well, I'm righteous enough, or I'm in church and I've been baptized, that makes me righteous. Uh, or I follow the Ten Commandments as if anybody could perfectly, you know. And that makes me righteous as well. And he says, no, your righteousness will never get you there. It is his righteousness you've got to have. And that faith that you have provided that for you. He gave you his righteousness. Beautiful. Well, then in verse... Three, Peter describes the great impact of this divine call upon your life. It's made an impact on everybody who has that saving faith. And he says there, for example, it, it, it says, seeing his divine power, in verse 3, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So it's granted to you everything, everything pertaining to what? Life. And what did uh, John say? He says, uh, well, in, in the Gospel of John, it talks about eternal life, everlasting life. By the way, when do you get eternal life? When do you get everlasting life? Anybody can tell me? When do you get it? When do you get to heaven? No, when you get saved. Amen. Not when you get to heaven. When you get saved, you get eternal life. And then John extends that. He says, it's even more abundant life that the Lord offers you. But he didn't stop there. He says it's more than that, and he granted us everything pertaining to godliness. What does that mean? Well, Peter tells us in verses 5 through 7, when he talks about those Christ-like character traits that you got as well, and that you therefore are to live out. Well, having been called by God's divine power, verse 4 tells us, God has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature. You know, it's truly been said that this book is a love letter to you from God. It's an amazing love letter to you from God. It is filled full of his promises, hundreds and hundreds of them. And if you have partaken of the divine nature, then you know how precious this book is to you. You know how you've gone through things. You said, I need something. And sometimes people can't give it to you. 
you're looking for something and for some reason you go to people and you're hoping they can give it to you and they can't help you. But guess what? God says, I have given you precious and magnificent promises and they will minister to you. They will encourage you. They will empower you. They will give you direction and guidance and so forth. They will comfort you. Wonderful. So as you and I are going on this journey through this desert land to our final home, how prom- how precious those promises from God to you are. And they are indeed precious and magnificent. As I said, they minister comfort and strengthen you and guide you, and they're truly a treasure to you and me from God. In fact, you ought to underline that in your Bible there in verse 4, precious and magnificent promises he talks about there what a way to describe them now because of all this because of all of this god effectually calling you his giving you everything pertaining to life and godliness his granting you his precious and magnificent promises you're partaking of the divine nature at the end of verse four says you have escaped from the corruption that is in the world by lust that's great And we saw that had a a present tense meaning here. And that is, he has taken you out of Satan's kingdom of darkness and death and translated you over into the Lord's kingdom of light and life. He has taken you out of Adam when you have this divine nature. And he has placed you in Christ. The old nature is still in you, but he's rendered that powerless. He gives you the victory over that. And uh, so many things that demonstrate the present effect of this uh, having been blessed with this new nature and having therefore escaped from the corruption that is in this world by lust. But there's also that ultimate effect we talked about. And the ultimate effect of escaping from the corruption that is in the world by lust, because you've partaken of the divine nature, God is one day going to completely deliver you from that old sin nature. The mortality, this body is going to put on immortality. He is going to glorify you. And we're getting closer and closer to that great event. And that's also what he means by you've escaped from the corruption that is in the world uh, by lust. Well, Peter comes now to those seven qualities that reveal and confirm you have partaken of the divine nature in verses 5 through 7. I'll tell you something. So many people, and this includes people that are, have partaken of the divine nature, lack the assurance that they really belong to God. They struggle, and sometimes it's a church that teaches that you can lose your salvation. And then it comes to the question, well, what is it that causes me to lose my salvation? Which sin is it? And so forth. And maybe I don't feel good this morning, and therefore I feel that God has left me. And maybe I've lost my salvation. I'll tell you, it is a great joy to me, and I'm sure it is to you as well, to know with certainty that your salvation is secure, that you truly have partaken of that divine nature. And that's what Peter's getting at in this text in these first 11 verses here. And so he says, we're going to talk now about those seven qualities that reveal and they confirm that you have partaken of the divine nature. We saw that all seven of these are your spiritual DNA. You don't just conjure them up. No, they're part of your spiritual DNA. What do I mean by that? Well, you have partaken of the divine nature, it says there. Staggering words. 
God says, I took you out of Adam. I placed you in Christ. He is now your life. He is now your righteousness and many, many more things he is to you as well. You at that time were born again because the Holy Spirit of God caused you to be born again. That's that effectual faith, by the way, that effectual calling there. And therefore, he also dwells within you. It's a staggering concept I wish we could somehow get a hold of, that daily the Holy Spirit, God himself, dwells in me and in each one who has partaken of that divine nature. Therefore, it is he who empowers you to live out who you are. And these seven character traits are who you are. They are your spiritual DNA. But notice, too, that these seven qualities all come out of the foundation of your faith. Verse uh, 5, now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith. Supply moral excellence and so forth. Only through your genuine faith that results from God's effectually calling you and making you his child can you produce these seven Christ-like characteristics or uh, qualities. And because you do possess such faith, Peter exhorts you then apply all diligence to this to live out these seven qualities. Let me give you a quick brief description now of each one of the seven. We've done this before, so it's going to be very quick. But uh, moral excellence. Now, what does that mean, moral excellence? That's the first one that you add to your faith. He says it is that quality of life that makes you stand out as belonging to Christ. It makes you stand out as belonging to Christ. In fact, the Greek word was used to refer to a quality knife that was razor sharp and cuts well. It was used of a horse that was strong and fast. It was used of one who would perform heroic deeds. In other words, you are giving all diligence to be Christ-like in your daily walk, making your faith a living, energetic, active dynamic faith. In other words, may I put it this way? Your faith is working. Your faith is working. Well, then we come to knowledge. You know that as Peter closes this little book, he says, but grow. There it is, but grow. That's like giving all diligence in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, in these 11 verses, he uses that word knowledge five times. It seemed to be a key word of his. Using it five times here. And how do we do that though? Knowledge. How do we give all diligence to that? Well, giving ourselves to this book. This inspired letter from God. And it illuminates us. It opens our eyes and gives us discernment. It causes us to have spiritual insight. Enabling us to live our lives, listen, wisely, skillfully. Or as Paul put it in Ephesians chapter 5. And this is really the same thing what Peter's talking about. He says in Ephesians 5, Therefore be careful how you walk. Boy, in this age, this world, do we not have to be careful how we walk? Not as unwise men, but as wise. Making the most of the time. Buying up opportunity. Because the days are evil. And we say, boy, we understand that. They really are. Okay? So then, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And by the way, that's exactly what Peter's saying in this text here, the first 11 verses. 
That you want to be wise, buying up opportunity, making the most of your time because the days are evil. And don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Then he comes to self-control. Self-control. We all know what that means. It means controlling our passions instead of being controlled by our passions. We have a world that's gone amuck in that. Whatever the passions is, they do. Well, that's not to be the case with you and me who have partaken of that divine nature. This is our spiritual DNA to have self-control. You possess a new nature, the divine nature. You possess the indwelling God, the Holy Spirit. You spend quality time in God's word and in prayer as well and with brothers and sisters sharpening each other. And now you submit yourself to the control of the Holy Spirit who will empower you to overcome. It's actually the outworking of Paul's parent Ephesians 3, 16-17, which is one of these key passages for this Come Grow With Me series. You might remember it, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in, through, his, through his spirit in the inner man. Okay, that's his prayer. Lord, I pray that they'll be strengthened with power uh, through the spirit in their inner man. Why? Here it goes. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What was the foundation? Faith. That's where it started. What do you mean so that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith? I ask him to come into my heart. He's in my heart. He's in my life. The Holy Spirit will never leave the person he saves. Well, then what do you mean here? What he means is, yes, he's in your life, but will you let him have complete control? That's what he's talking about. It's kind of like the fulfillment of Ephesians 5.18 that Paul put it this way uh, to add to that. uh, But be filled or controlled with the Spirit of God. In other words, let Him control your life in all your situations you find yourself in. By the way, that would resolve so much of the struggles and the difficulties we have in life. See, this is really foundational stuff. It is basic for overcoming and growing, and it's part of your spiritual DNA. He comes then next to uh, perseverance. Well, that means to remain under. Hupo mino means to remain under. When temptations come your way, don't yield to them. Remain under and endure, and with his power, go through them. When you're facing some trial in your life, and we all face them. Some are bigger than others. God knows what you can handle. He says, Hupomino, remain under, persevere. You don't give up or give in. Such perseverance comes from your faith in those precious and magnificent promises coming to you from your heavenly Father. You persevere because you know Christ and He's precious to you. And it's an intimate relationship, the fellowship of His sufferings that He mentions. And we could really add a lot more to that. And in your eyes, I mean, that is, your eyes are fixed upon him, as Hebrews chapter 12, 2 and 3 say. You persevere because you are aware of your Father's wise and loving hand controlling everything that happens to you. Sooner or later, you've got to come to that place, and so must I. I know we're overwhelmed by problems. And some are so awesome, they're so, they just weigh us down. And we don't have answers. And sometimes God doesn't immediately give you the answer. But he says, will you trust me? Will you remain under and persevere? I will take you through it. And we will grow deeper in this, in your relationship and walk with me. By the way, those are the people who minister to other people. Those that have been there and persevered. Godliness. 
That's the next of your spiritual DNA, godliness. Godliness means being godlike. That's pretty simple. Being godlike. After you've been born into the family of God, you want to be like your heavenly father. You want to be godlike. It's part of your spiritual DNA. Godliness means you cultivate an awareness of God's presence. Look, the world has no awareness of his presence. Not at all. They have no awareness of his presence, but you do because you have partaken of the divine nature. And you therefore worship him and give him thanks and praise him and serve him. You revere him and you seek to live a life of obedience to his will. That's what godliness is. And then we come to brotherly love. It's interesting about that because that's one of them that in the epistles of John, the first, second, third John, he says it is a mark that can tell you whether you are truly in the family of God or not. It's a mark that can tell you whether you've really partaken of the spiritual, the divine nature. Whether you've been born into God's family. For example, 1 John 4, 20 and 21, he says, if somebody says, I love God. By the way, multitudes of people in church say that. All kinds of churches. I love God. But he says, and hates his brother. He is a liar. Wow. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment, he says, we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And then there's 1 John 5, 1. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Let me stop there. There's a lot of people that believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the coming one. But that's only head knowledge. The devils believe that too. They know Bible He's talking about putting your trust in that, that you truly are surrendering your life to him because you believe it. Okay, so he says, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. There it is. Now John also tells us the love we ought to have is sacrificial, even to the laying down of your life. But he says, wait a minute, I know that a lot of you may not be asked to do that. I know that. Okay, I know that. So here, let's make it practical. If you see your brother or sister in any kind of a need, and you have wherewithal to meet that need, how dwells the love of God in you if you don't meet that need? So he says, don't love in word only, but in deed and in truth. That's the practicality, and that's part of our spiritual DNA. And we finally come to the last one he has here in the seven list of seven, love. This is God's agape love. It's sacrificial love. Peter started with the foundation of your faith and he ends with the capstone of your love. A love that you can only have if God, the Holy Spirit, has shed it abroad in your hearts and he's done that for every person who has partaken of the divine nature. He's done that. As I said, it's a capstone God's love, the love that gives to another seeking to meet that person's need without consideration of that person's worthiness. In fact, that person may be our enemy. He may or she may hate us and have evil intent toward us. It's a kind of love that Stephen manifested when they took him out there and they were stoning him. And as he was falling down and breathing his laughs, he cried, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. 
He was still filled with a love for these people that hated him. It's the kind of love, of course, that Jesus showed when he was on that cross for the whole world. For you, for me, the whole world. And then more specifically to those that hated him with a venom that were standing below him. And what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now look, you and I can't produce that kind of love or any of these traits that would honor God unless it's a Holy Spirit in us that enables us to do that. Well, having exhorted you and me to apply all diligence, you'll see that over and over, apply all diligence and supply these seven Christ-like qualities to our faith, Peter next shares with us, and this is the next part of your outline, verses 8 through 11, the threefold benefit of possessing these seven qualities. Really, it's pretty simple. That's what's before us here in verses 8 through 11. The threefold benefit of possessing these seven qualities. Number one, the first benefit, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Verse 8, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Verse 8 says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing because you're giving all diligence to them. They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I said before, if you possess the divine nature, these seven Christ-like qualities are part of your spiritual DNA. Therefore, if you possess them, and for you to give all diligence, diligence to increasing them in your daily living, you, they will result in your being useful to God, useful to God, pleasing to God, to the body of Christ, and you will bear much fruit. By the way, that word useless literally means out of work. I wonder how many of us are out of work. We're useless, <laughs> inactive, idle when it comes to bearing much fruit and being useful in God's hands. Jesus, by the way, was very concerned about this. No wonder Peter picked up on it, because he was there. Just before he went to the cross, you might remember what he said to the disciples there in John 15. Listen to it, because it fits right in with what Peter is saying here. He said in John 15, You are already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Stop there. What did he just say? You boys, the eleven of you, are saved. You have partaken of the divine nature. That's what he said. Now he continues on. Then he says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What's that mean? It means these are the ones that are not giving all diligence to these seven character traits, these Christ-like traits. They're just kind of drifting through life. Having possessed possessed the divine nature. And Jesus was very concerned. Five times he uses that word, abide. He continues on, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. He's not talking about sending people that have partaken of the divine nature to hell. Did you get that? 
That doesn't fit at all. He's not saying, okay, you partake of the divine nature, you're all clean, but if you don't bear fruit, you're going to go to hell. That's not what he said. He said, but this is what we do with vines that, are, vines that are useless. You just cut them off and you burn them. He says, don't be useless, but be useful. By the way, it's interesting how he ends verse 8. Notice that. Don't be, neither, you will neither be useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? I'll tell you what I think it means. I think it's exactly the same thing Jesus was saying when he said, abide in me. I think it's exactly the same thing Paul was saying when he's saying, I pray that you might, that, the, that God would grant you power in your inner spirit, the Holy Spirit, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. He's already there, but let him have the freedom. Let him be the one that's leading your life and you're walking hand in hand in fellowship with him. I think that's what that phrase means in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Like Peter, Paul challenges you and me to give all diligence and be useful and fruitful when he writes 2 Timothy 2, 20 through 22. Listen to what he says. Paul says, really saying the same thing as Peter. Now in a large house, in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but there are also vessels of wood and of earthenware. And he goes on. Some of those vessels are for honor. They're useful. And others are for dishonor. It means they have a less quality purpose and use in God's hands. He said, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor. Sanctified. Here it is. Useful to the master. Prepared for every good work. He says, now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That sounds like Peter saying, give all diligence to your faith. Supply these seven character traits or Christ-like qualities. Well, so the first threefold benefit, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. The second one benefit, they confirm to you God's calling and choosing you. Don't you find that interesting? Man, don't you think that, that Peter says here, they confirm to you God's calling and choosing you. Look at verse 10 with me. Therefore, brethren, here it is, says it again, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you for as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. The words calling and choosing are really synonyms. I mean, you could make a little bit of difference in them. He chose you before the foundation of the world, and then in time when you were born, he called you. But they're really synonyms. Obviously, God knows those who are his. But listen to me, there are a lot of people who think they are his. And churches are filled full of them. I mean, really. And they think they are his, and they're not his at all. I mean, why would Peter put this in here? Then be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. Paul wrote the same thing. 
kind of Peter Paul here, aren't we? But Paul wrote the same thing. It's a verse you must have thought a lot. You know, certainly you've, uh, it's come across your mind in 2 Corinthians 13.5. He says, that, now he's wrapping up the book of Corinthians. And by the way, Corinthians, you might recall, was a church filled of, full of problem people. They had so many problems, it's unbelievable. All the problems they were going through. And really what they were doing is allowing the world to come back into their lives and therefore right back into the church, just like we're seeing going on today. That was what was happening in Corinth. And here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says, listen, listen, test yourselves. Whoa, what? Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Wow. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? He has just said exactly the same thing that Peter says here in 2 Peter 1, uh, 1 through 11, especially in verse 10 here. Make sure all the more certain of his calling and choosing you. Listen, a genuinely saved person has partaken of the divine nature, and these seven Christ-like qualities should be proving this to be the case. Listen, there has to be some evidence in your life that you have the divine nature in you. There's got to be some evidence. Just having a tremendous head knowledge is not evidence. That's what Peter is saying. These are Christ-like qualities. I'm not saying that we all have them to a great degree. I'm not saying we're not struggling with sin and often falling into sin and finding that sin wins out. That's just part of our growing spiritually. But you have, have you actually examined yourself to see that Jesus Christ is in you? I want to say it again. Have you examined yourself? That's what Paul says. That's what Peter says. Have you examined yourself to see that Jesus Christ is actually in you? And he says, here's one way. These seven qualities. By the way, there's a lot of other ways. I think about, do you hate sin? Do you hate the fact you're trapped in sin? Or do you love your sin? Do you love the Lord? Do you love talking with Him? Even though you're out of fellowship, you feel guilty about that? And that's part of it as well. Many different things that He gives in Scripture to help us with this battle to understand that God has chosen us. He's called us as well. What does Peter say here in verse 10? He said, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. What does he mean by that? Stumble. He means you'll not fall into doubt or lack assurance about your truly being saved and having partaken of that divine nature. Rather, God will give you assurance of your salvation. That is such a most precious gift for you and me, to have that assurance. Why? Because we're still fallen people. We still struggle daily with sin, and we hate what we get into, and we hate the fact that we're not growing like we ought. And that's okay. That's a good indication you belong to the Lord. But he says, as you, as you give all diligence to these seven qualities, then you won't stumble. There won't be that guilt. You can come and you, by the way, if you're growing in the knowledge, you know what God says, you can go back to the devil and say, wait a minute, I know I'm a sinner. I know I just failed. But my Bible says God forgives me and I'm in his family. So let the old sulfur boy go. Let him go out the door. Well, there's a third benefit. 
First, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful, but they also confirm to you God's calling and choosing you. Now, number three, they abundantly supply to you the entrance into the Lord's eternal kingdom. They abundantly supply to you the entrance, there it is, the entrance into the Lord's eternal kingdom. Peter uses some interesting words, doesn't he? Look at verse 11. For in this way, you're giving all diligence to the seven Christ-like qualities. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. What's he talking about? He's talking about rewards. He's talking about rewards. God doesn't just want to get you and me into the kingdom. He says, I want to so superly abundantly reward you when you get there. You know, it's kind of like you're going someplace and because you don't make good plans, you end up at the Motel 6. When you could have ended up in the Hilton, let's say you're going to Hawaii, I would rather stay in the Hilton on the beach than the Motel 6 way back inland, you know? It's kind of what he's saying here in a way. By the way, this idea of rewards, it's a huge subject that is often overlooked. And the New Testament is just filled full of, it's chocked full of emphasis on the believer, the one who's partaken of the divine nature, being rewarded by God and the importance of you pursuing that. For example, Matthew 10.42. You don't need to turn there, but Jesus said, Whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these ones, little ones, even a cup of cold water to drink. And I often think when people offer me water or coffee, because I think coffee fits in there too, okay? He says, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. I mean, if you give somebody that's really thirsty and they need it, he said, you're not going to lose your reward. And Peter, I love Peter, he wrote this book of Saint Peter, he says, wait a minute, he says, we've left all, we've left all for you. What's in this for us? Isn't that cool? I mean, the guy just out comes, what's in this for us? We've left everything. And Jesus answered and said to him, truly I say to you, that you who have followed me in the regeneration when the Son of Man will sit on the glorious throne, you also shall sit upon twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. He didn't stop there. He went on and said, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my my namesake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Listen, that's what it means to receive you abundantly into the eternal kingdom. You get home and God says, man, you've got rewards. Yeah, this is going to be something you want to enjoy throughout the eternal age of ages because you've been faithful. And you've given yourself to these seven Christ-like qualities which are part of the spiritual DNA of every person who has partaken of that divine nature of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And surely you're familiar with 1 Corinthians 3. I'm going to have you turn to that one. Don't lose your place in 2 Peter, but turn to 1 Corinthians 3. I know, again, you know this very well, but let the Lord just use it in our lives. We're going to begin with verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3.10 Paul says, According to the grace of God which is given me to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and another is building on it. But each man must be careful 
how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So Paul says, I laid the foundation in the Corinthian church. I came and told you about Jesus Christ being the Son of God. I came and told you that he went to the cross and bore all your sins and all your deserved punishment and judgment. And he's the Son of God. On the third day, God says, I'm satisfied with it. And he raised him up from the dead. And now when you put your faith in him, you can be forgiven of all your sin. You can partake of the divine nature. You can be born again. You become a child of God. And heaven is a guaranteed thing for you. You now belong to Christ. He said, I came and told you. I laid that foundation. That's what he's talking about there. Now, verse 12. If any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, from quality down to worthlessness, there it says, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. You've been noticing often in the news, people's houses have been caught on fire, especially this summer, and they lost everything in those homes, including their houses. He says, well, your, your, your work, your Christian walk is going to be tested by fire. Verse 14, if any man's work which he has built on it remains, he's given all diligent to these seven qualities, and therefore he's neither useless nor unfruitful. That's what he's saying here. If it remains, he will receive a reward. And that reward is just beyond comprehension. But verse 15, if any man's work is burned up, let me restate that. If you've partaken of the divine nature and you choose not to grow in your walk with the Lord, you choose to throw all the working away, and you can do that. Instead of working out your salvation that you already have with fear and trembling, you can throw it away. All the trials, throw them away. Be angry with God. Be angry with the world and so forth. If you choose not to give all diligence to add to your faith this moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and godliness and perseverance and brotherly love and love. He says, you want to throw that away, here's what will happen. He will suffer loss. Ah, not his salvation, but he himself will be saved yet as through fire. What did Peter say? Look again at verse 11. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. That's what he's talking about. Reward. Don't just get there. And I want all of you to get there. And when you all want to get there, don't just get there. But believe me, this reward is going to be an amazing thing. By the way, I've said it a number of times. I want to say it again. You know that Satan knows how to greatly super abundantly reward those of his world system. He lets them go to Hollywood and become popular and ruin their lives, doesn't he? He lets them have incredible wealth. He lets them have popularity. He lets them have power. Not just Hollywood. His whole system's built that way. And I've said before, and I say, if he can reward that way, God will not be outdone by his arch enemy. Guess what? We get to keep it. No one who said, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Wow, there it is. There it is. Now we come to the twofold condition of the person who lacks these qualities. Evidently, there are those who partake of the divine nature that lack these qualities. Verse 9. 
Peter writes, verse 9, For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Again, we're given two synonyms there, blind and short-sighted. Of my five senses, the one I'd, I'd hate to lose any of them, but the one I'd hate to lose the most would be eyesight. I'd hate to lose my eyesight. Boy, what a, the world would just come in on me. Because what I've enjoyed so much would now mostly be gone. To lose your sight would close you off to so much of the world around you. You would find yourself very limited in so many ways. And here in verse 9, Peter says, you become blind. You've lost most of your sight. If you lack these seven Christ-like qualities, it says, when you compare that to losing your physical eyesight, you get sort of a sense of what kind of a loss Peter's talking about here. It's a drastic loss, a horrible loss. This person has lost his way. He's groping his way through life, trying to make the most of life and failing miserably, even though he might be materially successful, physically successful. He stumbles along. He misses out on so much. Being short-sighted means you're myopic. That's what it means, myopic. You can't see things in the distant. That's something. I'll tell you what. Just having those seven qualities and the knowledge of God's word and seeing what's happening in our world today and seeing what God has to say about the future and you, his precious ones, in that future, that gives a different perspective on how you live your life right now, knowing that soon, and by the way, he said that in First Peter 1.13, fixing your eyes on Jesus who's going to come back. You live differently when you have spiritual eyesight and can see things in the distance. And that's what he's talking about. This person, though, is not focused on Christ or his coming or the commencement of his glorious kingdom reign. This person is focused only on the here and now. He is not living for Christ's imminent return. He's living for self. But there's a second condition. Not only is that person is blind being short-sighted, that person has forgotten his purification from his former sins. I wonder how many of people, God's people that have partaken of the divine nature fit in that category. They have forgotten. They have completely forgotten their purification from their former sins. These words make it clear Peter's addressing saved individuals. Although I imagine there could be others in the body there that aren't saved. He jolts them, causing them to think back to when they got saved. They received the Lord's cleansing from all their sins at that time. Suddenly God became their heavenly, not not the God up there somewhere, but he became their heavenly father. What joy flooded their life, what peace filled them. Paul called this the washing of regeneration. That purification, the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. But listen to how he again had to address the Corinthian church. And believe me, this would be an address for our world today. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, he wrote these words and they're powerful. They're convicting. 
He said to the Corinthian church, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Evidently, they didn't know that. Like our world today, like a religious world today, do you not know? Man, don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Again, if you have blindness, you're likely to be deceived here. He says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, he says, and such were some of you. That's where you were when you heard this wonderful message. He said, but you were washed. What joy must have filled their heart. Yeah, that, that characterizes my, my, my old, depraved, wicked, evil life. Bound in those sins, loving those sins. But suddenly you told me about Jesus Christ. I accepted him in my heart. I partook of the divine nature. And I was washed. Completely clean. But you were sanctified. It means made holy. Set apart for God. But you were justified. He declared you righteous. What does he say? He's saying he took Jesus and he put you in him. And you got his righteousness. You were clothed with that. All in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. But guess what? Evidently, some of them had forgotten. They had forgotten their purification. Being freed from their, some of their former sins. Remember what joy filled your heart when you first got saved and you were washed in the blood of the Lamb? Washed clean from all your sins. Peter is saying, have you gone back to your old ways? Have you gone back to your old ways? Are you deliberately living in known sin? Have you become blind? Have you lost your sight? Have you lost your way? That's what he's saying in this text. Listen, if you want assurance of your salvation, you don't find it in living in known sin. Make certain about God's calling and choosing you by giving yourself with all diligence to these seven Christ-like qualities. Don't continue in your spiritual blindness deliberately living in known willful sin. Powerful, isn't it? I mean, it's convicting, it's powerful, but it's good. It's what we each one need. God, though, really does want you to have assurance of your salvation. He really wants you to know that you're saved, forgiven, in his family, and going to heaven. I love that song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This, dear ones, is my story. This is my song. Therefore, praising my Savior all the day long. And with that, we come to eight benefits that will experience, that you will experience when God assures you of your salvation. This is good. I could have come up with a lot of these myself, but some of them are from somebody else. 
as I read their message on Second uh, Peter 1. But listen to all that. We'll go very quickly. I'm not going to make many comments. But these are eight benefits that you will experience when God assures you of your salvation. And when does he do that? When you give all diligence to your spiritual DNA. We say, I will give diligence and add to my faith or supply to my faith moral excellence. It'll be a living, active, dynamic faith I have and live out day by day when I go to work or when I go to school or in my community or whatever problem I'm going through. It will be knowledge. I'll have the knowledge of the Word of God and grow in that grace and knowledge and know my Savior more and more. And He will be my joy, my comfort, my strength, my guide, my encouragement. It will also be the fact that I will have the uh, uh, self-control and godliness and perseverance. And I'll show brotherly love as well as God's divine love because it's all part of my spiritual DNA. I'll give myself to it until he calls me home. Eight benefits that you're going to experience when God assures you of your salvation. Number one, it makes you love and praise God. Doesn't it? To know that I am saved, forgiven, I'm his family, he's my heavenly father, I'm assured of heaven, nothing's going to ever keep me out of heaven, that's Romans 8. It makes me love and praise God. Number two, it fills you with joy in your everyday life and trials. Yes, the trials come. Yes, they come. But it still fills me with joy because I know that God says, I'm in control, Bill. You may not understand what I'm doing, but believe me, I am forging your character, making you more and more like my son. Thirdly, it causes you to eagerly obey and serve God because you know that he will reward you. You know he will bless you. You know that he's worthy to be obeyed and to be served. Number four, it gives you victory over your temptations. Temptation comes, you say, what? wait a minute, I know that he is there. He gives me power. There's a reason why I should overcome my temptations and trust him and grow stronger in this area. Number five, it fills you with contentment, though you have little in this world. That may not be true of you as far as having little in this world, but there are a lot of people that's, that describes them. I think about my brothers and sisters in Nepal right now, and Sham, our son, is in Nepal. And they've closed off those, sealed off those borders, both in India and China. So very, very little, like petroleum and food and so forth, is getting into them. I think it's all because of their government that they are trying to adopt and so forth. And so if you're in business, for example, you're going broke because you have no way of opening the business. And there's things about what do I eat? And how do we stay warm? And yet they have very little. And yet even in the midst of that, they have contentment. Number six, it causes you to endure any and all suffering in your life. They may cause you and me to suffer dearly. They may even torture you and me. They may take your life. But guess what? They cannot do anything after that. I will, the Lord will be with me. He will take me through that. And he will see that I get safely home to glory. And what a day that's going to be. And so it causes you to endure any and all suffering in your life. Number seven, it overcomes your troubled conscience when it comes. There are times that you probably struggle with doubts about your Christian life. Maybe your eternal destiny with the Lord. 
And maybe it's guilt because of sin you've fallen into and you're not getting victory over. And so as you repeatedly fall into that sin, there's guilt there. But it still causes you to overcome your troubled conscience because you know that you have the divine nature and that you have eternal salvation. And finally, number eight, it removes your fear of death. Isn't that good? I, I know I'm going to die if the Lord doesn't come back. I don't know when, I don't know how, but it removes my fear of death because I'm going to death as my servant that will usher me right into his presence. This is an amazing pa- passage. And dear ones, he says, listen, have you partaken of the divine nature? And if so, you have a spiritual DNA. Start giving diligence to the seven Christ-like qualities and remember even from the outline and from the scriptures what he promises they will do for you heavenly father we thank you for this portion of scripture lord uh, to have a faith just like peter and those other apostles had a saving faith to know that that faith came out of the righteousness of you lord jesus christ And that we have partaken of your divine nature and those precious and magnificent promises in the scripture are from our heavenly father to his children. As we go through this desert, this earthly sojourn on our journey home day by day, getting closer and closer, how precious those scripture promises are, how magnificent they are to us. And to know that they've freed us already from the corruption that is in the world, for we've been taken out of Adam and placed in you, Jesus. We have been given victory over that old sin nature. Its power has been broken in us. We don't need to yield to it anymore. And ultimately, you're going to take this mortal body and make it immortal and give it glorification. We look forward to that. And because of all this, you have said to us, Give all diligence to supplying to our faith moral excellence, knowledge, knowledge of you from the scriptures, self-control, godliness to be godlike, perseverance to love our brothers no matter what, Not to bear an offense, not to carry offense, not to determine to get even, but to love our brothers and sisters. And then to pour out that love that says, I will sacrifice myself to even my enemy in loving them. All only can be done because, Holy Spirit, we have the spiritual DNA because you dwell within us and it's your divine life we possess. And because of that, Father, there are some qualities we have. Let us be useful and fruitful. I pray. Let us know that you've chosen us. You've called us. I pray. And help us, I Father, not to be short-sighted, not to be blind, not to forget our purification from our sins. May we grow in your grace and your knowledge and give us that assurance, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. In your name we pray. Amen.